It's a day many people in the conservative movement, in the pro-life movement, have been waiting for for literally decades. The Supreme Court is hearing arguments in a case that could lead to Roe v. Wade being utterly thrown out. Now, I'm not trying to get excited about this. I'm not trying to get other people excited about this because will this happen? Will the current Supreme Court actually overturn Roe v. Wade? We're going to explore that just a little bit tonight because the case is called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. It revolves around a Mississippi law that prohibits abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Uh, that is, of course, the second trimester. And the single licensed abortion provider organization business in the state of Mississippi has challenged this law. It was struck down by a Mississippi judge that it was this, this striking down of the law was affirmed by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. They said it was unconstitutional. It's been appealed all the way to the Supreme Court. And now the Supreme Court, these justices will hear this case. So the question, three questions tonight, three questions today, I should say, can this be overturned? Can Roe v. Wade be overturned? Should Roe v. Wade be overturned? And will Roe v. Wade be overturned? So let's talk about this first question here. So the idea of can Roe v. Wade be overturned? Are the justices able to overturn this? This is an argument that if you listen to the left, they will say, nope, you can't overturn Roe v. Wade. This is the law of the land. This is precedent. They say it is settled law. And when they mean settled, they're using this word to say, well, you can't question it. You can't challenge it. It can't be um, re-argued. It can't be ruled again. This has been ruled once. Therefore, it is one and done. You can't, you just can't. They say you can't, but this is a, in fact not true. If you look at the legal history in our nation, settled law or precedent, even in enormous, enormous cases, um, does not preclude the Supreme Court from deciding that the original ruling was incorrect. In fact, they not only, these justices not only have a right to decide that a previous ruling by a different court was incorrect, they actually have a duty, a responsibility to do so when the original ruling was unconstitutional. So as not to be vague, let's talk about a concrete example here, which I think, no matter which side of the aisle you're on, every single person in our country should agree this was the right thing to do to overturn. So the Supreme Court in Plessy versus Ferguson ruled um, to uphold racial segregation in our country. This means um, black children and white children were not allowed to go to the same school. They were segregated. This means separate water fountains. This means blacks at the back of the bus. This The Supreme Court said that that was constitutional, that the government was allowed to racially discriminate against American citizens based on what they looked like, based on the amount of melanin in their skin, based on their race. In Plessy versus Ferguson, the Supreme Court upheld the government's right to racially discriminate. Well, for 60 years, Plessy versus Ferguson was settled law, precedent. It was a done deal. It had been ruled on by the Supreme Court. 60 years, this stood until it was overturned by Brown versus Board of Education, at which point the Supreme Court said, nope, the justices on the court at the time of Plessy versus Ferguson got it wrong. It is unconstitutional for the state to racially discriminate against someone, an American citizen, against a person based on what they look like, based on the amount of melanin in their skin. 60 years, Plessy versus Ferguson was precedent. It was settled law until a court rightfully, courageously, exercising their duty and their responsibility threw out a ruling that was incorrect in the first place, that was wrong, that was unconstitutional, that violated people's inherent human rights. So when the left says that Roe v. Wade cannot be overturned, that it's settled law, that it's precedent, that it's a done deal, we can't question it, it's over, they're lying. That is incorrect. So can Roe v. Wade be overturned? It certainly can. 
Now, should Roe v. Wade be overturned? Let's look at this question in three ways. So should it be overturned? There's sort of the moral question of should it be overturned, the ethical question of should it be overturned, and the legal question of should it be overturned. So the moral question here is simple, and the vast majority of the American people, whether they identify actually as pro-life or pro-abortion, agree. Should Roe v. Wade be overturned? Well, morally, of course it should, because we know, science tells us, that life begins at conception, um, the moment a sperm meets an egg, joins with an egg, forms new DNA, a separate person from the mother, that person deserves the rights codified and protected by the United States Constitution, just like you and just like me. I mean, this is science. This is also people's religious belief that we are made in God's image, and therefore um, we are, each and every one of us, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And when we are made in God's image, we do not destroy each other, because if we destroy each other, then we are rejecting Christ, right? So the vast majority of the American people agree on the morality of the thing when it comes to abortion, that abortion is immoral. Like I said, even those who say that they are pro-choice, say that they believe that a woman should make that decision and not the government, they believe that abortion is immoral. So should Roe v. Wade be overturned morally? Yes. Ethically, ethically should Roe v. Wade be overturned? Well, of course, if, if we believe in science here, the ethics of science, and we know that science says life begins at conception, then yeah, we have to, if, if our ethics call us to treat people equally under the law. So this is the equal protection question, right? If we're gonna pick and choose different segments or different demographics of our population, of our citizenry to protect, different demographics who we protect less or different demographics who we protect more, then we are violating the basic ethics of equal protection under the law. And not only are we violating it just in and of itself when it comes to abortion, if we refuse to protect the unborn after acknowledging that they are separate human beings that are worthy of not only dignity, but protection under the law. This is also a slippery slope because if we have determined that this segment of the population, these people in their mother's wombs, because of their stage of development, because of their location even, are somewhat less worthy of protection, then what's the limiting principle on this? Which demographic, who in our country cannot be selected by government bureaucrats, by elected officials, by politicians as somewhat less worthy of protection, less worthy of equal protection under the law. So ethically, should Roe v. Wade be overturned? It absolutely should be overturned if we are going to be a nation that uh, it, that stands for freedom and liberty and justice for all. Absolutely, it should be overturned. Now, will it be overturned? Will Roe v. Wade be overturned? Let's talk about this for a second. So the Supreme Court right now obviously has nine justices on it. It's not just the division between conservative justices and liberal justices. We've talked about this before. I've said, I think instead of it being, you know, four to four or five to three, I actually think it's segmented in three, three, and three. It's three liberals. We know how they're going to vote, of course. They are ideologues. They're judicial activists. They don't care what the Constitution says. They um, harbor radical leftist ideology. They are very pro-abortion, and they have shown that. They're obviously going to rule to uphold Roe v. Wade. But the conservative justices, um, if they're looking at the Constitution, it should be pretty obvious there's no right to abortion codified anywhere in the United States Constitution, certainly not in the 14th Amendment, which is where Roe v. Wade pretends to find this right to privacy, which also I suppose, not suppose, but also they suppose um, includes this right to kill an unborn child. Um, the 14th Amendment includes no such provision whatsoever. Um, but these six justices, these six conservative justices are torn between those who hold the Constitution in highest regard, as they should, the highest law on the land, and those who hold precedent higher than the Constitution. So we're talking about Roberts, we're talking about Kavanaugh, and we're talking about Amy Coney Barrett. Those three seem to hold precedent on a higher ground than the Constitution seem, well, 
according to Roberts, he doesn't want to rock the boat. He doesn't want to be a political court when that is inherently what the Supreme Court is going to do. That's inherently part of their job is to settle disputes that come from politics to make sure that the politics can be married or can be justified with the supreme law on our land, the Constitution. So do I think Roe v. Wade will be overturned? I'm gonna wait just a second to actually say what I think about this because I wanna journey back just a little bit to um, to Roe v. Wade itself and to Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Because these two landmark abortion cases, Roe v. Wade obviously said that you know abortion cannot be prohibited across the country. Planned Parenthood versus Casey moved away from this trimester, um, this trimester setup that was laid out in Roe v. Wade and established that um, viability was the point at which abortion cannot be restricted before viability. So let's talk about viability for a second. So viability technically is 24 weeks. That's the time at which a baby can survive outside of its mother's womb, outside of his mother's womb or her mother's womb. Um, Although there've been babies who have survived, I believe as young as 21 weeks of gestation. These babies are so teeny tiny. Just Google it, you can see pictures. It's miraculous to see this baby um, that's you know literally this big, less than a pound, survive outside their mother's womb for whatever reason they had to be delivered. So this idea of viability, this is actually going to be what the court is going to have to wrestle with because the idea of viability is the bedrock on which abortion legislation and abortion um, legal precedent has been built. And I don't think that this is a secure foundation whatsoever because viability is actually not a reflection of the humanity of that baby, whether or not that baby is a person, whether that baby has reached a certain developmental stage in their mother's womb. It's not a reflection of any standard regarding that child. Viability is a reflection of our shortcomings as adults in the medical field. And what I mean by this is viability is not related to how developed a baby actually is. It's related to how much development we have on the outside that sustains the baby at the point that they are at gestationally outside the mother's womb. That's why viability has changed from, you know, third trimester to mid-second trimester as our medical um, field has advanced. Our medical advances have allowed viability to get earlier and earlier and earlier. The baby, the unborn baby's development hasn't changed. That's age old. That's always been the case from time immemorial. Unborn babies have developed the same, but our medical advances have determined viability. So this idea that you can build law about the humanity of one person based on the medical advances or the scientific knowledge of another person, there's simply no way to square that in the law. There's certainly no way to square that with the US Constitution, but that's, I think, what the justices are going to have to wrestle with Um, more than anything else, more than anything else. It doesn't matter that 60% of the American people, pro-life and pro-abortion, want second trimester abortion banned. It doesn't matter that this is settled law, that it's precedent. They're going to have to wrestle with this idea of viability. And that's actually, the Supreme Court has agreed to answer this one question. One question. This is what they've agreed to answer. Are all pre-viability prohibitions on elective abortions unconstitutional? That's what they're answering. That's it. Now, I expect a very narrow ruling here, but when you listen to Dr. Leventino testify before the United States Congress on the procedure in question here, at the gestational age of the child, 15 weeks, because that's what Mississippi's law is, when you listen to what this procedure is, you can't help but realize that our scientific advancements, knowing what's going on in the development of this child, 
knowing that viability is on us, a reflection of us as adults, our shortcomings as human beings, our shortcomings in the medical science, when you understand what this procedure does, the Supreme Court is going to have a very difficult time navigating around this question without addressing it specifically. This is Dr. Leventino, and I, I will warn you before I play this video, this will gut you. This will absolutely gut you. Take a listen. You introduce an instrument called the sofa clamp. It's about 13 inches long. It's made of stainless steel. The business end of this clamp is about two and a half inches long and a half inch wide. There are rows of sharp teeth. This is a grasping instrument. When it gets a hold of something, it does not let go. A DNA procedure is a blind abortion. So picture yourself introducing this and grabbing anything you can blindly and pull, and I do mean hard, and out pops a leg about that big, which you put down on the table next to you. Reach in again, pull again, and pull out an arm about the same length, which you put down on the table next to you. And use this instrument again and again to tear out the spine, the intestines, the heart and lungs. Head in the baby that size is about the size of a large plum. Can't see it, but you pretty good idea you've got it if you've got your instrument around something and your fingers are spread about as far as they go. You know you did it right if you crush down on the instrument and white material runs out of the cervix. That was the baby's brains. Then you could pull out skull pieces. And you have a day like I had a lot of times, sometimes a little face comes back and stares back at you. Congratulations, you just successfully performed a second trimester DNA abortion. It's hard to listen to. The Supreme Court must listen to this. The Supreme Court agreed to answer the question, are all pre-viability prohibitions on elective abortions unconstitutional? They cannot answer that question without addressing the idea of viability. Because viability has nothing to do with the humanity of the child. It, is only, it only has to do with our medical advances. So going back to the beginning, can Roe v. Wade be overturned? Yes, it can. Should it be overturned? Yes, it can. Yes, it should. And will it be overturned? I don't think it will. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. I don't think the Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. I don't mean to sound cynical. I don't mean to sound like a pessimist. I hope and I pray that they will overturn Roe v. Wade. It's the right thing to do from a legal perspective, from a constitutional perspective, from an ethical perspective, from a moral perspective. I don't think they will. And you know what I think? I, I don't actually like making predictions like this. And I hope and pray that I'm wrong about this. Um, I think the deciding factor is going to be Amy Coney Barrett, the justice who was at least presented by the radical left, at least leading up to her confirmation hearing as being this very right-wing, very Catholic, very orthodox um, woman whose religious beliefs will cloud her legal judgment. That's what the left told us. I think Amy Coney Barrett's going to be the one who um, prevents Roe v. Wade from being overturned. I hope and I pray I'm wrong, but that's what I that's what I think we'll see. So today, obviously, the Supreme Court is hearing this case. We will know the answer by June. If I am correct, if I am correct that Roe v. Wade is not going to be overturned, that these conservative-ish justices have abandoned their duty have neglected to take their part in the history of our country to stop one of the most horrific genocides, not just in our country, but that the world has ever known. Well, with conservatives like that, with Republicans like that, who needs, who needs Democrats? Who needs Democrats? Um, we're going to talk about some other Republicans um, who need to be put on notice as well. But first, I want to talk about American Hartford Gold. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's noticed everything is getting expensive, very expensive. We are in the biggest economic crisis since 2008. 
With a government that's printing trillions and trillions of dollars, consumer prices are the highest we've seen in 30 years. Inflation is seemingly here to stay. And if the government continues its out-of-control printing and spending, then the dollar could continue its free fall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. So how do you protect your money, your retirement, and your savings? Well, American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. They'll even help move your existing IRA or 401k out of the volatile stock market into a precious metals IRA. And they make it easy. They're the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. If you call them right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call them now. Call 855-768-1883. That's 855-768-1883. Or text Liz to 65532. Again, that's 855-768-1883 or text Liz to 65532. So Republicans in the Republican Party, this is an interesting difference between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. We've just begun to see a fracture in the Democratic Party where the Pelosi version of Democrats who are who are still very left, they're very far left, very radically left, but there's a fracture between the Pelosi brand of Democrats and the AOC, the squad version of the Democrats. Pelosi has a little more politician in her than AOC does. AOC is an ideologue. She wants 10 out of 10 every time. Whereas Pelosi is politician enough to know that if she gets eight out of 10, she can get that extra two later. Um, And so we're just beginning to see this fracture in the Democratic Party. Historically, we haven't seen that. Historically, the Democratic Party have voted in lockstep with each other. They can always count on whipping all of their votes based on what the speaker or what the majority leader in the Senate wants to do. So this is a very new thing in the Democratic Party, but it's not a new thing in the Republican Party. The Republican Party doesn't have the same ideological uh, identicalness as the Democratic Party. There's there's more free thinkers, more independent thought. People aren't um, afraid of being ostracized out of the Republican Party the same way that they are afraid of being ostracized if they have one slight dissent um, from the Democratic leaders. So Republicans have dealt with this for a long time, and... There, there should actually be. I want to say one thing. I appreciate independent thought. I appreciate when someone is thinking for themselves and making the moral and right decision based on what they think and not just being a puppet for the political leadership of the party. That being said, there are certain principles, there are certain values, and there are certain policies that if you don't agree to uphold, if you don't agree as a representative, an elected representative of the people, if you don't agree with those policies, then you don't belong in the Republican Party. You shouldn't be in the Republican Party. You shouldn't be occupying that spot in Congress that someone who is true to the principles of conservatism and limited government and individual rights could be occupying. So what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the Fairness for All Act. The Fairness for All Act has flown under the radar of the Equality Act, Um, The Equality Act, as you know, was this radical leftist, cultural Marxist monstrosity that would essentially codify into law, well, Marxism, but radical leftist ideology on all of these cultural things, whether it be abortion, whether it be, you know, gender stuff. And I'm talking both about gender pay gap and gender identity. It's this this smorgasbord of cultural leftism that would be codified into law. It failed to pass. The Equality Act failed to pass. And so Republicans, a group of Republicans, presented this alternative to the Equality Act called the Fairness for All Act. And to put it bluntly, the Fairness for All Act is a monstrosity as well. The Fairness for All Act is not fair. It's not fair for all. 
it codifies radical leftist ideology into law in a way that's actually, I would argue, equally as dangerous as the Equality Act for what it ultimately achieves. Like I said, with Republicans who support legislation like this, who needs the Democrats? So this Fairness for All Act was designed to be by its uh, author, who is Congressman Chris Stewart from the state of Utah, a Republican, at least in name only. It was designed to be a compromise between religious liberty and LGBTQ rights. Because that was the argument, if you will, the conflict or the stumbling block in the Equality Act. People who have religious beliefs about gender, about marriage, about sex, these social, these social, sexual, cultural issues, um, these people, these religious people would have been completely ostracized legally and legally penalized for their beliefs and living out those beliefs in the public sphere under the terms of the Equality Act. Well, the Fairness for All Act was supposed to be a compromise between, you know, religious liberty and LGBTQ rights, but it is completely insufficient and it should be outright rejected. And the reason I'm talking about this is because th this is kind of a shocking statistic, I think. When I read this, I immediately looked for two or three names that I recognized, but there are 21 Republicans in the House of Representatives who support the Fairness for All Act. 21 Republicans. And we're talking about some big name Republicans here too. I'm gonna read you the list in just a second, but I, I, I wanna talk about what this law does first. So it's like I said, insufficient is a kind word for the Fairness for All Act. It simply does not protect religious liberty. It pretends to protect religious liberty, but it doesn't. Um, and and it's, it's, it's open about the fact that protection for religious liberty in certain select narrow circumstances is a trade-off for making gender identity and sexual orientation protected classes under the Civil Rights Act. So the Civil Rights Act, remember, the Civil Rights Act made skin color a protected class in the face. Think about the historical context here. In the face of rabid, institutional, horrendous racial discrimination in the United States of America. In our laws, in our system of laws, we're talking about Jim Crow era laws. And so the Civil Rights Act codified this idea that the color of one's skin was a protected class, that you could not be discriminated against even in the private sector because of the color of your skin. So fast forward to now, when people who uh, identify as LGBTQ or whatever have equal rights in our country, they're allowed to do whatever they want. There's nothing denied to them based on their sexual preferences or what they choose to call themselves or the pronouns that they use or the clothes that they wear or who they live with or who they love or even who they marry. There's not a single constitutionally protected right that any one of these individuals is denied based only on their sexual orientation or gender identity, period. So justify that or compare that historical with the historical context of the Civil Rights Act and racial discrimination. There's no institutional, horrendous, historical discrimination against, right now, against the rights of people with certain sexual orientations or gender identities the way that there was against racial minorities, black Americans in the 1950s and the 1960s. Yet the left, and now 21 Republicans in the House of Representatives want sexual orientation and gender identity to be made a protected class in the Civil Rights Act. This will have such severe consequences. 
such severe consequences in our nation, especially for religious people, especially for Christians, especially for Jews, especially for Muslims, who believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, who believe that there are only two genders, man and woman, who believe that sex belongs within the context of marriage, who teach their children these things, who want their religious leaders to preach these things from the pulpit. So let's talk about what the Freedom or the Fairness for All Act what the problems of this act are. So first of all, it never defines, this piece of legislation never defines what exactly constitutes discrimination. And this goes back to what I said a moment ago. It's because individuals who are gay are not deprived of any constitutional rights. There is no law on the books that discriminates against someone because they have same-sex attraction versus someone who is attracted to the opposite sex. So this this legislation can't define what constitutes discrimination because there's no institutional level discrimination that's happening right here. So essentially, if you don't define this, not only does it not exist the way that they're pretending that it exists, there's also this vague type of non-definition leaves the door wide open for the idea that any dissent from radical leftist ideology can then be defined after the law's been passed as discrimination. That is extremely dangerous. That is something that none of these Republicans should ever fall for. So the Fairness for All Act actually says that an entity, you know, a school, an organization, a group, whatever, an entity unlawfully discriminates against a child by treating a child inconsistently with the child's gender identity. So we're talking radical leftist ideology codified into law in the Fairness um, for all act. And the exemptions for, for religious people, this quote-unquote protection for religious liberty, it's barely anything. It's ba- It barely even meets the definition of protection of religious liberty. And it's very, very narrow exemptions for some religious schools, some religious colleges that are private, some charities, but it doesn't even fully protect those people. And there are a lot of people, by the way, who don't have affiliation with a formal organized religion who simply believe that there are two genders, male and female, or that marriage is between one man and one woman, um, who don't want biological males to be in female locker rooms, who don't want their children to be competing, their daughters to be competing against biological males in school athletics. I mean, you don't have to be a religious person to dissent against this radical leftist gender ideology. You just have to be a person of common sense. But there's no protections for people who aren't affiliated with these formal religious institutions. And even those formal religious institutions have only narrow, very small exemptions. Um, As you can see, the Fairness for All Act is not fair. It is radical leftist gender ideology. The attempt to insert that into our federal, into federal law. And the House Republicans, let's go back to House Republicans. Who needs When you have Republicans like this, who needs Democrats? Chris Stewart from Utah, Fred Upton from Michigan, Elise Stefanik from New York, John Curtis from Utah, Mark Amodi from Nevada, Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, Adam Kinzinger, yeah, maybe that one's not a surprise, from Illinois, Andrew Garbarino of New York, Blake Moore of Utah, Burgess Owens of Utah, Carlos Jimenez of Florida, Chris Jacobs of New York, Claudia Tenney of New York, Jeff Van Drew of New Jersey, Jennifer Gonzalez-Colan, Maria Salazar of Florida, Maria Diaz-Balart of Florida, Mike Simpson of Idaho, Nicole Maliatakis of New York, Steve Stivers of Ohio, and Tom Reed of New York. If anybody on this list, any of these representatives is your representative, write to them. Tell them the Fairness for All Act is not fair. 
This codifies radical leftist gender ideology into law. It does not have adequate protections for religious people. It does not have any protections for people who are just people of common sense who don't want radical leftist gender ideology codified into law here. If we want to talk about legislation that would actually be fair for all, for all people, then no school would be forced. There would be protections for schools. No school would be forced to let boys play girls sports or be forced to allow boys and girls locker rooms. There would be no teacher that would be forced to use a student's pronoun, preferred pronoun that doesn't match their actual sex, their actual gender. There would be no doctor that would be forced to affirm, especially a child's gender dysphoria. I mean, there are doctors, especially in the psychology and psychiatry fields, who risk losing their licensure if they so much as say, well, let's talk about what the root of this gender dysphoria is instead of pushing you towards hormones and transition. An actual act that is fair for all would protect doctors from having to affirm gender dysphoria, affirm gender dysphoria, or else risk losing their licenses. If this were fair, no organization would be attacked because they believe that marriage is one, between one man and one woman. There would be no flower shop that was sued because they didn't want to create custom flower arrangements for a gay wedding. There would be no bed and breakfast that was essentially shut down because they didn't want to host a lesbian wedding. There would be no cake baker who's still, still facing lawsuits because he doesn't want to make a gender transition cake now because a transgender activist has decided to go after Jack Phillips. There'd be no hospital forced to facilitate gender transition surgery, the mutilation of perfectly healthy human bodies based on a mental illness. There'd be no foster parents that would be forced to indulge in the gender identity of the, of the foster child versus the reality of who that child is. There'd be no homeless shelter made for women forced to house biological men who simply identify as women. There'd be no sexual abuse refuge for women that forced the house to put these abused women in rooms where the roommate is a biological male. There'd be no private businesses that just because they have more than 15 employees are forced to abandon their religious beliefs and their hiring practices. If you actually want a piece of legislation that is fair for every person, then abandon the Fairness for All Act completely. These Republicans, you should be ashamed of yourself. It's not too late to back out now. Simply admit your mistakes. Say, listen, we are fortunate to live in a nation where people who identifies LGBTQ are allowed to identify as LGBTQ. They are not prosecuted. They are not persecuted. They enjoy equal rights under the law. We are lucky to live in a nation where that is the case. Even if people on a personal level disagree with the lifestyle of LGBTQ people, we are lucky to live in a nation where these people are free to do what they want. That being said, it is the bedrock of our nation codified in the First Amendment of our Constitution that every citizen is entitled to free exercise of religion and that the state, the government, may not infringe on that right. And the Fairness for All Act is a fundamental infringement and violation of that right. This should be rejected by Republicans no matter how tolerant, no matter how inclusive, no matter how liberal of a Republican. And if you cannot protect religious liberty, if you allow radical leftist gender ideology to be codified into law, if you support this bill, this piece of legislation, this monstrosity, then you shouldn't be part of the Republican Party because you don't share the values of limited government. You don't share the values of individual rights. You don't share the values. You don't, you're not even living up to your oath of protecting the United States Constitution, protecting the citizens you have sworn to represent in the United States Congress. 
especially the leadership of the Republican Party, especially Elise Stefanik. This is disappointing to hear from Elise Stefanik. She should know better than this. Again, if any of these Republicans, I will post this list of these Republican sponsors of this bill on my locals at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Anybody can access it there. If these are your representatives, write to them. You'd be surprised at what a difference it makes. If you talk to any Republicans, not even any Republicans, if you talk to any representatives in Congress, they will tell you. Maybe, maybe they won't admit this publicly, but privately they will tell you, yeah, if we get a dozen, if we get two dozen emails, it actually does make a difference in our actions. It does make a difference in what we do. So think about that. Send them an email, call their office, show up to their town hall and tell them to vote no on the Fairness for All Act because it is not fair to any. It's not fair to actually the vast majority of the American people. It's specifically unfair. Uh, speaking of unfair, Twitter has a new CEO uh, with very interesting views on free speech. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But first, I want to talk to you about Soul. Today's episode is also brought to you by Soul, a brand new sponsor of The Liz Wheeler Show, the sustainable orthopedic footwear company that seeks to enhance your mobility and improve your foot health to keep you in the game longer by building shoes from the inside out. So let's start with a question here. What is a footbed? 85% of the population will have one or more foot-related ailments in their lifetime. We're talking plantar fasciitis, Morton's neuroma, a lot of these unsexy ailments can be helped with a footbed. Soul has created a footbed defined as a great place to rest your soul that's affordable, customizable, and improves people's everyday foot comfort. Millions of customers rave about this product. Once you know the comfort, the pain relief, the improved performance enhancement and injury prevention benefits of Soul footbeds, you will want them in every shoe you own. Soul has an amazing offer for first-time customers, 50% off, if you go to my URL, which is yoursoul.com slash Liz, that is spelled Y-O-U-R-S-O-L-E dot com slash Liz. So you can try Soul for yourself. Soul is so confident that you will love them. that They offer a 90-day money-back guarantee. It's very hard to go wrong. The Liz Wheeler offer is applicable to all items on the Soul store, be it footbeds or footwear, if you go to yoursoul.com slash Liz. You deserve it. Try it out. Okay, Twitter has a new CEO, Jack Dorsey, quit. I think we all heard that. We all saw that. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of torn about how I feel about this. You all know that I'm a conservative Twitter OG. I've been on Twitter since before it was what it is. I mean, we're talking back when conservatives spoke on hashtag streams like hashtag TCOT, which is top conservatives on Twitter. Back when there were conversations, back when it wasn't really news. It never made the news what people posted on Twitter. This was just a place where you went and you talked with other thought leaders. I've been on Twitter since, almost since its inception, and I love it. I absolutely love Twitter. I know it's a cesspool. I know they censor, and it's horrible, um, but still, I love it. I absolutely love it. I do not love Jack Dorsey. I think that Twitter, it was a good idea. He was the founder of Twitter. Obviously, it was a phenomenal idea. He's led Twitter in the wrong direction by thinking that he should be the moderator, the arbiter of not only conversation, but truth, um, that's led to the censorship and it's, you know, done a huge disservice to those of us who love to love Twitter here. But to see him go, I think, honestly, is jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire because it's not like they picked a new CEO who is committed to free speech, not at all. Their new CEO, Parag Egrawal, um, 
is not committed to free speech at all. This is what he said. This was from an interview in November of 2020. He said, our role is not to be bound by the First Amendment. He's talking about the company at Twitter. Not to be bound by the First Amendment. Uh, he said that they should focus less on thinking about free speech and thinking more about how the times have changed. So there you have the future of Twitter here. This doesn't excite me whatsoever. Um, well, I mean, what does he mean the times have changed? The times have changed how? Like you don't think that people should discuss things. You don't pe think people should dissent from radical leftist ideology. You don't think that there should be debate. I mean, if, if that's true, then all Twitter is going to become is a propaganda apparatus. It's just going to become a campaign arm of the Democratic Party. And that's a shame because that's not what it used to be. It used to be so fun to debate. It used to be so fun to actually engage with other people. I mean, that's where I practiced debate when I was young, when I was in high school and college. I would just, you know, sit at Twitter, sit in front of my computer while I was doing homework, while I was in class, um, and debate with leftists. And it was fun, and it was useful, and it was educational, and it was informative, and people's minds were changed. And now Twitter doesn't want to uphold the First Amendment. Now, they're a private company, at least right now, although they have the two, Section 230 protections um, that should be revoked if they want to act as editors. Um, so the first day that Twitter's new CEO is in his role, they issue a new rule that says that the media of a private individual cannot be posted on Twitter without the permission of that individual. I want to read, I want to actually bring this up and read exactly what it is. So the media of a private individual, this is very sneaky language because we're not talking about hacked materials here. We're talking about, yeah, they say the media of private individuals without the permission of the person depicted. So basically any video where the person is not, I guess, signed a consent form saying, yeah, it's okay for you to video me. You're not allowed to post on Twitter. So to me, that means all undercover reporting, all investigative journalism, that's what it is. You're reporting on people who obviously don't want you to report on their corruption or their wrongdoing or their opinions even. Um, it's seemingly going to be banned on Twitter if that individual doesn't want that to go public. This is, this is terrible news. This is almost laughable. It's so ridiculous. But here's my question. What about the Harvey Weinstein tape? Remember the Harvey Weinstein tape where he's shown um, mistreating a young woman? He's a private individual. I'm sure he didn't give permission for that video to... Uh, go public, would that be literally taken off Twitter because he didn't give permission? What about um, the Trump video where he used the P word? He was a private individual at the time. Would that be taken off Twitter because he didn't give permission for that video to go viral? What about Ralph Northam, the pictures of him in blackface? He was a private individual in med school when those pictures were taken. So without his permission, is that not going to be allowed to, to circulate on Twitter? What about paparazzi photos? What about photos of elected officials before they were elected officials. What about the video of Chris Cuomo? He's a private individual. He's not an elected official. Violating quarantine. Are all of these videos going to be banned from Twitter? I mean, this is a terrible, terrible beginning for the new CEO of Twitter, if that's the case. Terrible beginning, which is why I, uh, when I heard that Jack Dorsey was resigning, I was like, well, good, but aren't we jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire? They, what they need is they need a CEO who is going to be committed to free speech. I don't think we're going to find that on Twitter. That is why I am so, so grateful for Locals. I know a lot of you are part of the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals, where censorship is not a thing. That's why we've been posting so much about, you know, COVID, so much about the Omicron variant, so much about the untouchable, unmentionable um, topics like masks and vaccines. We talk about over on the Locals community. But until, until Twitter follows in Locals' footsteps, I don't know that they're going to um, ever recapture the essence of 
who they are. YouTube, by the way, you might have noticed, those of you who watch the show on YouTube might have noticed that we haven't been posting our episodes over on YouTube for the last week, and that's because there's a strike against my channel. YouTube has prohibited me from posting anything on my channel um, for a week. They marked, they flagged, we'll say. I don't know what to call it. They penalized multiple videos of mine. And we're talking about videos from like eight, nine months ago, I think, like almost a year ago. They've penalized videos for violating their terms of service. And it's very unclear, by the way, the terms of service at YouTube change constantly. And so it's very unclear if what I said at the time was against the terms of service at the time, or if what I said at the time is against the terms of service now, which I couldn't have known at the time, um, in order to edit myself or censor myself to be appropriate for YouTube. And so they flag my videos. Now we're talking about videos about masks. We're talking about videos about vaccines. We're talking about videos about the Arizona election audit. Um, all of which I am scrupulously careful to cite. I am scrupulously careful to cite scientific studies. I'm scrupulously careful to read from audit materials itself. I'm scrupulously careful in how I present this information because there is a lot of untrue information that floats around on YouTube. There is. I don't want to be part of that. I want people to listen. I want you to have the confidence when you listen to me, knowing that what I say, whether it's opinion or whether it's fact, that it's true and that the opinion itself is informed by the fact. And so I always share with you the fact that informs the opinion. And that includes all of these hot button topics, especially with these hot button topics. But no, 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 no. YouTube says that's not good enough. They put a strike on my channel. Now, if you get three strikes on YouTube, you, well, are out, duh. That's how the strike system works. Um, but we have not been able to post over there. So please, please go to Locals. On Locals, you can get the full episodes um, as they released, you can get the full episodes censorship free on Locals. Again, that's lizwheelershow.com slash Locals. Um, it, it's absolutely infuriating to me that we even have to sit here and have this conversation, that I have to, not that I watch what I say, but that we have to frame what we say by the parameters of YouTube's terms of service, which is not about science. They don't want you to discuss science. They don't want you to dissent from the politics and the politicians who have weaponized science for their own political agenda. That's the meat of it, right? That, that's the problem here. Is it's not a scientific debate. It's not YouTube saying, well, we don't think that that's scientific. It's YouTube saying this politician doesn't want other people to hear about the science because the science contradicts the politician's ideological agenda or their policy that they're imposing on people from a public health standpoint, that's what YouTube doesn't want people to say. That's what they struck me down for saying. And that infuriates me. I mean, that's how communists act. That's, censor that's the censorship of communists, where they don't want you to hear reality. They don't want you to hear the truth because the truth makes you question their politics. That's what we're dealing with with YouTube. Now, fortunately, we are fortunate as a company to have some great contacts within YouTube. There are a few conservatives that work for YouTube and they're very gracious in helping us navigate the parameters of YouTube's terms of service so that we're not kicked off by their automatic censors, you know, after the first week, just because we criticize Pelosi, because we dissent from Dr. Fauci, because, um, you know, all of the things that we do. And we're very fortunate, but it's, it's not good enough. It's not good enough because we got a strike against our channel and we're not allowed to post for a week. Again, please join us on um, locals. We're going to talk more about that in just a second, but first I want to talk about AMAC. The Liz Wheeler Show is also sponsored today by AMAC. 
Did you know that there is a conservative advocacy and benefits organization with more than 2 million members and counting? It's called AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has become one of the most impactful conservative organizations in America. Joining AMAC gives you access to money-saving benefits, cutting-edge news, and a magazine full of insightful takes on today's most important issues. But most importantly, AMAC is working tirelessly to preserve the freedom secured by our Constitution. With a full-time presence on Capitol Hill, AMAC is pushing back against the efforts to defund our police, weaken our borders, and replace your freedom with government controls. So stand with me and over 2 million patriots by joining right now at amac.us forward slash Liz. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Liz. The benefits are great, but the cause is greater. So join today at amac.us forward slash Liz. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Liz. You'll be glad you did. It's a great cause. All right, so... The next part of the show is an extended segment for locals, VIPs only, or as I like to call it, the COVID show, where we talk about the truth and the reality that big tech will not let us discuss. And boy, oh boy, do I have some good content for you today. So please join us at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Become a VIP today. Um, partake in reality. Please join us on the good side. Avoid the big tech censorship today in this extended segment. If you want to see the rest of this segment, hear everything that we're going to talk about, head on over to Locals, the Liz Wheeler Show community at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. See you there. Um, again, it's why I'm so tremendously grateful for Locals, for those of you who are a part of the Liz Wheeler Show community. We are here for a good reason. We are here to discuss reality. We are here to discuss truth. I appreciate your support. I know that you have given me some of your hard-earned money to be a part of this exclusive VIP community, and I take that very seriously. I'm very grateful for it. I, um, I will, as I always have, I will continue to bring you the truth and bring you reality and be a part of this great community because if... If we don't have these discussions, if we don't speak reality, if we don't defend reality, then who will? Um, and everybody who's part of this community enables me to, you know, collectively be the voice for, for our group. And I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Um, that's all I have for today. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of Photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of Marketing, Emily Washler. Production and Talent Coordinator, Matt Toffler. And Senior Publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production. <laughs>